Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Uh, I'm your host, Jonathan Sadler. Um, today, we've got Justin Dobbs with us. How are you doing today, Justin? I'm doing well, thank God. How are you? I'm doing well. Good to see you. And Dan Bunting is with us as well. How are you, Dan? I'm doing well. Good. I'm Good doing to well. see you guys. Uh, Scott is not able to be with us this uh, afternoon, but we're willing he'll be back with us next week. So we're looking forward to having him back. Um, so I'll get us going in kind of our topic today. Um, I want to spend just a few minutes thinking about marriage um, and particularly kind of from the standpoint of like, how do we build strong marriages? How do we use our marriages effectively in the service to the Lord? What's his purpose for that? Um, maybe what are some pitfalls to look out for and to avoid? And, and hopefully at the end of uh, today's show, we'll be able to spend some time discussing like, what if your marriage is not going well? Um, what do you do then? How do you, how do you get out and fix your marriage, strengthen your marriage from a, from a weak state um, rather than just kind of starting out? Um, so uh, we'll start just kind of with general ideas of, of marriage. What, what is the purpose of marriage? Why did God design marriage? And maybe why do some people think that it was designed that way? Uh, or what do, why do some people think is the purpose of marriage? And how does that equalize with what the picture of marriage we have in the Bible is? So I don't know, when do you guys want to start? with that idea well um I'll, i will let me just start by saying this um that the reason a show like this can even work uh is because we're going about this from a biblical perspective um so as is always the case if anybody out there listening says uh, i don't know if i agree with that or not Great, you know, talk to us about that. But uh, I hope that what we have to share today is is just biblical. I've coming up on my fourteenth, I think that's right, my fourteenth anniversary. Um, I don't have that much experience. I don't. Jonathan, how long have you and TJ been married? Uh, we're coming up on two years. So two years. Yeah. Almost. So you yeah, have you have all expert, the answers. Expert. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's, I think Dan, how long you guys have been married? What? It'll be twenty this summer. Twenty years. Yeah. Um, I think there's a benefit to, to having not been married very long in the sense that you still have these like ideals. Um, and then some people just like, we, we let the ideal go and we, it's like, well, you just sort of get comfortable with each other and comfortable with yourself and you don't allow yourself to grow and change. Um, Ephesians five is probably the go-to passage. Um, Paul describes it as a mystery uh, that's been revealed. Ephesians five thirty-two. this mystery is profound. I'm saying it refers to Christ in the church. Now, he's been talking about is his husband-wife relationship. A lot of times as uh, my wife and I are going through, through things in our marriage, good, bad, um, uh, or I'm talking with other people about their marriage, a lot of the focus is on what I want out of it. And uh, I want my spouse to make me happy, or I just want to make him or her happy. And when she's not happy, I'm not happy. Uh, and that's not really the goal of marriage. The goal of marriage is to sort of get into a dress rehearsal for the glory of Christ in the church. And it, that means it's not about me. Uh, it, there are a lot of blessings in marriage. Uh, God helps us to grow through marriage in ways that we didn't even know we needed to grow. But uh, it's, it's really not about, about me getting my happiness uh, served and satisfied in marriage. Uh, God wants to bless us. But the blessings are sort of a a side benefit. Uh, they're a secondary effect of us just trying to glorify Christ in our relationship, which means I'm trying to show Jesus, his love, his, the way he wields authority in a self-sacrificial way. Um, and that's, that's on me. That's my responsibility. Um, it's not my responsibility to make my wife submit. It's not her responsibility to make me love her. Uh, it's my responsibility to try to be like Christ and her responsibility to try to show what it looks like for the church to submit to Jesus. So I think, you know, that's kind of 30,000 feet up, but while it has so many practical things in it, as far as how I go about the day-to-day -day with my wife, I don't know, Dan, what would you say as far as just a, a foundational basis purpose for marriage? Well, looking at it from the ground up, you're, you're, you're looking at it from the perspective or talking about it, I should say, from the perspective that Paul writes about in Ephesians. Uh, when marriage is introduced, it's, it's to complete the person. And we have Adam, and he's incomplete. And Eve is introduced uh, to show that he was lacking. And, 
the nature of Eve is that she herself is also not whole and, and not complete. And so bringing the two together, um, the way Jesus refers to that story, let not man you know, tear apart what God has put together. So there is, a, there is a unity and a oneness and a togetherness that's made there. And, and that unity um, helps us to get a good perspective of, of the union that God designs for all people with him. Uh, because of our sins we've left and because of our mistakes and, and, and our confusion, there's a lot of divide there. And we're supposed to be united with God. And our union together with our spouse on earth is, is a good picture for that. But what's really interesting is um, man and woman were united long before that divide um, took place between man and God. And so even, um, even before it was used as a picture, um, it was an important uh, concept even just for mankind. And so I think that it's good to, to try to remove the idea that uh, the purpose of marriage is for me to be happy or one step better to make somebody else happy. That is a little bit better. Um, but if you take happiness out, because happiness is such a transient subjective idea, um, a purpose of marriage is to have that unity and union, that, that sort of blessing and togetherness. Um, happiness is, is often a synonym for, for those kind of, of uh, situations, uh, but happiness is probably just not a good word to to use when talking about those big ideas. Yeah. Yeah. So really it kind of, there are multiple levels of purposes The both of them go back to godly ideas and having a relationship with God and how that reflects God, how he wants to have a relationship with us through Christ and the church. Um, but also just like general characteristics and, and principles surrounding a relationship with God, unity and blessing and peace and joy and those kinds of things. One of the things that came to, to my mind when, Dan, when you were talking is also what marriage does, how God has designed it, is it creates this, uh, I'm probably going to have trouble thinking of words, so I'm just going to use general principles. It, it, it makes this family environment that is kind of like a protected zone in order to help mature and grow for each other, but also to raise children. Um, it, it's this, it's this really blessed kind of environment that God designs, at least in the way that he has intended it to be to protect children, protect the spouse and spouses protect each other and like their emotions and also physically and, and, and things like that. Um, there's, uh, I don't know, that idea of protection, I think is also found, uh, in marriage is this supposed to be this safe spot, which unfortunately, uh, in a lot of marriages, um, people in the world, you know, don't feel safe in their marriage, whether that's emotionally or mentally or physically or whatever. Um, and that's a, a corruption of what God has intended marriage to be and the family to be. So. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the reason that, um, that that situation arises is because in order to have really any kind of interaction, any kind of relationship, a certain amount of vulnerability is, is needed. And the marriage relationship um, is far more uh, intense than, than many people realize. And if you're emotionally immature and, and you're trying to grow up and you're trying to understand these sorts of things, it's hard to understand just how, how serious a marriage relationship is. And sometimes people get married and they're not ready uh, for that kind of um, vulnerability. Uh, someone is going to see them in, in ways that others can't or haven't before and uh maybe you, you're used to putting up walls around uh between you and other people and in a marriage those those walls are challenged and that vulnerability is brought right out and that's scary and that's hard to deal with especially if it's somebody who might take advantage of that vulnerability and then we we try to reinforce those walls and so that's why it's so easy once um once worldliness gets a foot in the door um that what can be the very nature of building a solid relationship, the, the trust in that vulnerability is the very thing that the world can start to tear out from the inside. On, on that idea, talking about this safe place, um, Jonathan, while you were talking about, where you were talking, I thought of Proverbs 5. Um, we referenced this in some studies recently, 
in Bible Quest. Um, but in Proverbs 5, 15, it talks about drinking water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Verse 18, let your fountain be blessed. Uh, the, the picture is there's this uh, territory that belongs to the husband and wife that doesn't belong to anybody else. And it's where the blessings happen. And it kind of harkens back to Genesis 2, this uh, kind of paradise garden that Dan was talking about. Um, but Dan, connecting that with what you're describing is this vulnerability that we have. Um, I'm trying to remember our audience here that sometimes we're talking to people who aren't married and they're looking for a spouse. Maybe we're talking to someone who's happily married right now. Maybe we're talking to someone who is unhappily married to divorce people. So what, you know, how do we address this? Um, and, and we may be talking to people who sometimes feel like there is no safe space in their marriage, that they have been made vulnerable to this person. And this person is manipulating them, targeting them, hurting them. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of, it's hard. That's just, it's a really, really challenging situation. Um, this, this should be this place where I can sort of undress my personality and be free with this person. Mm -hmm. uh, to those kinds of people, I think it's important to remember uh, that God is still using your marriage to bless you and to help you to grow. Um, he's making you fit for him. And that's something that Lindsay and I have to keep reminding each other. We tell each other all the time is, is my job is to help you grow to be beautiful for Jesus. And her job is to help me to grow beautiful for Jesus. It's not just about us pleasing each other. Um, the reason the vulnerability exists, the reason that we can help each other in this way is because we've got a higher goal. And God can use even struggling marriages, uh, even, even really difficult marriages to help the Christian who's in that marriage to grow to be something beautiful for Jesus one day. Uh, so there, there's hope there, even in, in the worst of circumstances. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and no, uh, just to tie in some, some biblical ideas with what you just said, Justin, I mean, that, that idea definitely shows up in scripture multiple times. Um, but I'm thinking of 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, where Peter kind of describes the scenario in the opening chapter where there's this wife that's married to a man that is not faithful, not respectful to the Lord or, or something like that. Um, and she, uh, he instructs them, you know, wives be subject to your husbands, still the same instructions that, that Paul gives training yourself for submission and what you're supposed to be doing to Jesus as well, uh, regardless of how your marriage is going. And then he says, uh, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. So still God is using that relationship, even though that's an incredibly difficult situation for a woman to be in using that relationship in that situation to mold her and shape her and strengthen her, but also to potentially reach the husband and help him and make him what he needs to be for the Lord as well. So that's, you know, important to try to be able to see the blessings, even in trial and difficulty, which is a big topic in, in the Bible, not just related to marriage, but just in life in general, how God can use those hard things in our lives to better ourselves, bless us, and also bless those around us. So, all right, so that's kind of, just quick in intro to these ideas. Let's start talking more practically and try to get uh, really practical. So if the purpose of marriage or to try to summarize that is to glorify God, make God the focal point and to equip ourselves and, and ready ourselves for a relationship with the Lord, what practical things can we do in our marriage to help strengthen that and move towards that purpose and that goal, um, both personally for ourselves, but also for our spouse? And maybe on the flip side of that, we'll talk about both of these together. What are some dangerous habits that we can get involved in that will undercut that, weaken our marriages, and, and take away from our relationship with the Lord? So, what do you guys think? Well, the, just simply put, um, anything you can do that's going to help um, reinforce and nourish or make your marriage to flourish, to help it to grow, um, to knit together more and more. Um, uh, th those, those are all things that, that are a, a glory to God. And, and uh, the, the, the way that we invest into our marriages is uh, the way that we um, praise God and, and glorify God. Every letter in the New Testament 
has a section in it that says, hey, you Christians, stop acting like knuckleheads, be friends, help each other out, and don't ostracize each other. Because wait, wait, where, F- where, where is that? <laughs> I don't know if knuckleheads. You're, you're, you're generalizing, but yes. <laughs> Every letter has a section where it's talking about y'all need to get along. Uh, sometimes it's very specific. There are some specific people or a specific problem. And if it's kind of a generic letter to a generic group of people, that message is still in there that people, that Christians need to get along. And so uh, there's the image of the body. And so over and over, the Christian message is that the people need to come together to be knit together and to join together as one body, the church uh, with Christ as the head for the glory of God. And every time that a uh, husband and a wife work on coming together, to be more knit together, to find that unity um, together. uh, In in their marriage, they're doing that same work that the church needed to do in in tearing down the walls of division. And so that sort of uh, communication is kind of a, uh, almost a cliche of a word, but that that is, uh, to me, in a lot of ways, one of the key ideas in bringing people together, especially a husband and a wife, in a way that by the very coming together, um, they are praising God for what he can bring together. One of the things that goes with that then is um, recognizing the value that my spouse has for being different than me. Um, you know, we've all seen these 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 older couples who've been married so long that they just, they, they look alike. Like they they dress alike, you know, not, you know, down to the skirts or anything like that, but like they, they, they just, they, they, you could never imagine them apart from each other. Um, that didn't happen by accident. That happened over time, but there are a lot of differences between me and my wife and God did not make Adam a helper that was suitable for him and then make this helper look just like him, act just like him, be emotionally equipped the same way. Um, man and woman together reflect the image of God and distinctly reflect the image of God. And so it's important for me not to try to make my spouse like me, but to rejoice in the differences. Uh, and, and that helps to create some freedom and some safe space, like you were saying, Dan, uh, where we can be vulnerable and not feel like, oh, I'm different than my spouse. Maybe they don't like this. Maybe this isn't okay. No, it's great. It's okay. And it, and it needs to be something that we rejoice in because God uh, equipped us with those differences. They can be strengths. Sometimes they need to change. Sometimes my differences uh, are because I'm the knucklehead you were talking about and I need to grow out of that. Uh, but recognizing that we're different and that our marriage may look different than other marriages mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, because my spouse is different than, I mean, I chose her. I didn't choose somebody else. And that means the chemistry in this relationship is going to look different than the chemistry, John, than you, you and TJ, mm-hmm. and then Dan, you and Heather, it's, it's going to look different. Yeah. And that's okay, because we're not the standards. We're all trying to come from where we are to imitate Christ in the church. Yeah, and going right off of that, it's going to look a lot different than the Hollywood idea of marriage also. Oh, thank God, yes. Um, which is, yeah, and, but, but that, that, that can be a real struggle when like, you start to observe how other things are happening in, in movies or in your friends' relationships or, or whatever else. And you're like, why isn't that happening like in mm-hmm. my relationship? Well, that's because that relationship has different people in it. Or in the Hollywood case, that's a that's a made-up relationship. Um, that, that's not actually reality of how it works. Um, one of the things, so Dan, you mentioned you mentioned communication, mm-hmm. um, which is which is so vital, and we could talk a lot about communication. One thing that I think I need to train myself better at um, is being able to realize and communicate and identify for myself when I'm wrong in a situation and how to how to rightly address that. Um, there's an interesting proverb uh, at the end of Proverbs in Proverbs 30 and verse 20. Um, it says, this is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done no wrong. Um, so that the lifestyle she's, she's living in adultery, she's doing whatever she wants. And then she looks back and observes what she's done and says, I'm good. Um, and that's how a lot of problems can come up in marriage when you just kind of living your life, not really paying attention to like how it's affecting your spouse or people around you or whatever else. And not ever kind of look introspectively at yourself and think, 
am I right in all the things that I've done? And then when you realize, no, I'm not, because inevitably you will fail and I've failed and I need to grow in certain ways, then be open in communication about that with the person that you're supposed to be vulnerable with, um, like what we've been building on, like, you know, be vulnerable enough to be able to, uh, you know, come in humility to them and ask for their forgiveness, point out that I, I've wronged you uh, in this way, I need to do better. Um, and, you know, will you please forgive me? And what that gets down to is selflessness in your relationship. Uh, if, if you're living in marriage, like what Justin pointed out, if you have this idea that marriage is for you to make you happy and to fulfill you, that's going to lead to a lot of problems, uh, especially in like disagreements in communication or conversation or things like that. Uh, we just got done talking through James chapter three um, in one of the studies that uh, I'm having in, uh, in the mornings. And we just studied in Bible class, James, uh, the book of James recently. And James three at the end, he talks about wisdom and the wisdom from above versus wisdom from below. And the first thing he says about wisdom from below is that if there is jealousy and selfish ambition, then there will be disorder in every kind of vile practice. And so if you're, if you're, purpose in marriage is for you in whatever way, whether to be you know, physically gratified or emotionally gratified or whatever, but if it's for you, that's selfish ambition. And James says there will be disorder in every vile practice to follow that because you're, you're trying, you're not trying to protect your marriage at that point. You're trying to protect what you think you're owed in your marriage. And there's a big difference between, I think, those kinds of things, but becoming a servant is the answer to that. Um, wanting to be, you know, the, the servant physically and emotionally and mentally for your spouse and do everything that you can to help better them and help them. And in the good relationship, like God has designed and how marriage is supposed to work, when both parties are serving one another, both of their needs will be fulfilled and there will be blessing and goodness. Um, but the purpose is not to seek out what you want, but rather to give yourself for the other person. And, and on that that, that really fits well into one of the, there's two main ideas that I like to think, that I think about when I'm talking about communication um, in a marriage, in marriage in particular, but really any, any relationships we have. And it goes well with what you were saying, Jonathan. Number one is um, you're probably not communicating enough, and that's a pretty good rule to live by. Um, that's not to be rude to people, because there's a lot of people that, that do talk a lot and share and communicate. And I don't want to necessarily make them feel bad, but chances are you have a relationship with someone and you're not communicating with them enough. But um, to jump off of what you were saying, Jonathan, um, I think it's, I can't, is it the Carnegie who came up with the seven habits, but the, the habit of uh, seek first to understand, then to be understood. And that's a tremendous rule to live by. What we need to do is try to understand in communication. And then we can try to be understood in our communication. But too often, and this goes to the word selfishness, Jonathan, you can say, well, I am communicating. I am talking. I'm telling this person everything they're doing wrong and everything that I want. That's just a monologue. And when they're talking, what you're usually doing is coming up with the next um, ugly thing you're going to say. So you're not listening. That, you know, it's, they only get a word in edgewise when you're taking a deep breath to yell that much louder the next time. Uh, what we need to do is to seek to understand. Uh, we need to observe and we need to listen. We need to observe, like you said, how do they react when I uh, wipe my mouth and throw the napkin on the floor? Um, how do they, uh, what, what do I observe as their reaction when I'm acting a certain way? I think it's good, but it turns out they're reacting in a different way. I need to observe that. I need to listen to other people when they are speaking to me. I need to listen to my wife, um, not just to the words, but to what the words mean. Um, and if there's, uh, you know, sometimes there can be the, the classic and the fun and uh, uh, funny uh, male-female communication breakdowns, and sometimes things don't work out. Uh, but, you know, very often guys have those communication breakdowns between each other and girls have those communication, communication breakdowns too. I think we like the joke because it gives us an excuse to not work as hard at listening to our spouse. We need to listen all the time. And we need to feed, um, feed questions and feed conversations so that we can get that, that fount of information coming toward us so that we can listen all the more. There, there's two parables where, where communication 
um, doesn't go well. Uh, and, and I think that they're kind of helpful to see this. In the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son, right? The first son gets all the money and he goes off. And in his loss, he realizes that being a slave back home is better than where he is um, at that moment. And so he comes home and he openly communicates with his father. And almost before he's done talking, the father is almost, it's almost like he's ignoring him. He's blessing the kid so much. And so that's a really neat example of good communication, how they're, they're, they're working together. But the second son or the son that stayed home, and this is why I like to call it the parable of the lost son, because it makes me wonder which one is, is truly lost. The son who stayed home is so frustrated. He's so angry. He won't even go into the family. When the father comes out, he has all of these feelings of rights and what's owed to him. And my brother got all this and I've never had, and I've never want, you know, ask for anything and look what you owe me. And the father says, you know, that you have always had what is mine. And there is a communication there that never happened. That son stayed home, but I don't know if his heart was there, was ever there. There wasn't the communication between that son and the father. He never reached out to the father so that this father could respond uh, well or to instruct him or to comfort him in those hungers and passions that that son at home had. And so there's this, he's sitting at home assuming things and, 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 and he's putting himself into trouble. And another example of that is in the parable of the talents, the one talent person said, well, I know you are a hard man and that this is what you're going to do. And he was only partially right. He only partially knew the father. He um, misjudged and he thought in his own mind, this is what this, um, this master is going to be like. And, and so basically what, what these parables, parables are showing are um, examples of uh, what we assume is the situation may be so far, uh, so far in the contrary that we're going to get ourselves into trouble, get ourselves into, well, those parables point the person into in near complete destruction uh, because of the, the failure there. We, we need to speak and communicate and to share so much more than we find it comfortable to do. Justin? I feel, feel like you've been uh, listening in on my conversations with my wife. Um, all the time she's like I, I need i need more i need more and uh it's not that i'm i'm tasked with filling a need for her it's just that she wants to understand me and she can't know me she doesn't want to assume things about me and man it really bothers me when it she does assume things about me but that's my fault because i'm not giving her much to go on um some bible passages some other passages that help establish what you're saying um you know james one we've mentioned james a lot we just live in james just just live there um, but James one talks about how every man should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I think in the context, we're talking about the need to listen to God, but that principle, if we're going to be humble servant people, like you were talking about, Jonathan, then that would be my goal to understand this person, uh, more than seeking to be understood. And then Proverbs eighteen thirteen, if anyone gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. We just, we end up looking ridiculous, uh, when we're not listening to other people, especially our spouses. Um, I wanna kind of talk about an, another principle here uh, and it's, it's kind of connected to a lot of things we've talked about. Um, one of the dangerous habits that uh, I've seen at play and then I've seen people avoid this and do really well is a way of prioritizing relationships. Uh, obviously our spouse, he or she is not the only person we have relationships with. And if you've been blessed with children, uh, or grandchildren, or you still have living parents, how do you relate to them? Um, and it seems like Genesis 2 lays down this principle that says, give greater weight to the longer lasting relationship. Uh, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And the way I've, I've usually heard this taught is, uh, you know, you don't want to be one of those empty nesters you know, your last child move out of the house and you turn and look at your spouse and say, who are you and what do I have to do with you kind of thing? <laughs> um, it's, you, you want to still have a relationship and that's true, but I think it works the other way too, where one of the most difficult things we can do in a marriage early on, but there are things that can carry with us. Um, we've left mother and father and that wasn't just, I got a new physical address. But my idea of what a marriage should be 
was largely informed by what I saw in my parents. Um, and that may, yeah, that's right. It may, it may be that that was good or that was bad. And it may be that it was good, but it's not going to work in my marriage because we're all looking at the principles and we're all trying to follow Christ and imitate Christ in the church here, but it's going to look different. And so I'm marrying somebody different. So we are establishing a new culture in this new relationship. So she's going to have to leave her mother and father. I'm having to leave my mother and father. And this is new. For example, one of the, um, one of the couples I've seen this at work with, um, they had a, a difficult marriage to begin with. They uh, were struggling and they, in their faith, they returned to the Lord doing really well, but then they realized, wow, we don't know what a biblical marriage looks like. Um, and so they started looking around at other biblical marriages and she had some Christian families in her background. Um, he, he did not. And so she looked at these other Christian families and said, wow, well, this is the way it's supposed to work. He does, he does all the financial stuff. Uh, my dad did all the financial stuff. My granddad did all the financial stuff. And all the women in my family didn't take care of any of the bills or the investments or any of the banking or anything like that. So um, she turned to her husband. Hey, this is what a biblical marriage looks like. And it caused him a ton of stress. And we sat down, we started talking through it. And just listening, you know, I'm trying to, you know, listen first before I give an answer so I don't look like a fool. And it's like, okay, so so where in the Bible did you get that idea? And they went, you know, I don't really know. And so we turn to Proverbs 31, where she sees a field and she considers it and she buys it. As so I don't know what it's like in your guys' marriages, but I mean, it may be that this guy's got the purse strings and this girl's got the purse. Like, who knows? But but there are principles at work here. And sometimes we see things in, in our culture, whether it's Hollywood or whether it's the church, and it may be good, maybe bad, maybe indifferent, but we've got to say, all right, what's the pattern here? And how does that work in our marriage? So I think one of the things that can be a dangerous habit is just to let our culture inform our marriage, rather than just saying, here's the biblical principle. And here's what it looks like best in our relationship. That couple suddenly found new freedom in how they could uh, implement their marriage in a God-fearing, loving way. She was really skilled in finances. He was not. He was skilled in these other ways that she thought, well, that's not a masculine, manly thing to do. And they started looking at the Bible. I was like, well, actually, it totally is. And it was just a new way for them to find freedom in their marriage. And they just took off. Uh, it, was, it was beautiful. So don't let uh, these other relationships become your priority relationship. Uh, husband, wife, that's, that needs to be something that you grow into. Leave behind father and mother um, and make sure your children know that one day they're going to leave father and mother and that mom and dad love each other. Um, and I think it's okay to let your children know that we love each other in a way that's special and it's unique and it's different in the way that we love you. We're, we love you with all we know how to love you, but this is special and uh, this is more permanent yeah. than than you guys. And in the same way, of course, my relationship with Christ is more permanent than my relationship with my wife. Mm -hmm. uh, so those are, those are principles that you just kind of keep that in play. They can keep you out of some messes. Mm -hmm. uh, and going off of what you were saying, Justin, I think you can even see that in God's provision for marriage um, for the Israelites uh, in Deuteronomy 24, I think. Um, when a man was married, um, he was given a year to be with his, be with his spouse. Like, you know, he's, he's not, going to the army he's not doing another public service he's with his spouse um to kind of that have that exclusivity and develop that foundation um one of the things and i'm going to step on my own toes here um that i think helps that practically in, in marriage is like what you were saying giving time to each other but like setting dedicated time for each other uh, could be a really practical way like having date night this is this is our weekly date night where like this is just us no one else <laughs> turn off our phones or, you know, whatever it is and kind of unplugging, like, it's just us. Um, and man, like, you know, I have a one-year-old that gets hard when you have a one-year-old to, to figure that out and how to do that. Um, but you need to keep your marriage strong. Um, I need to keep my marriage strong and, and work on that. Um, and on that point real quick, it's, it's important then to teach even our one-year-olds that it's not okay to interrupt mom and dad. Mom and dad are having a conversation right now. We'll get to you just as soon as we can and teach them to wait because mom and dad are having this conversation 
I don't know why I did this, but mom and dad are having this conversation and uh, it's important. And if we're going to love you the best we know how to love you, the best way God wants us to love you, you let mom and dad, you know, be unified here and then we'll help you. Uh, they, they need to see that priority at work. I think date night, absolutely. Uh, it's hard to arrange depending on where you are. We've done many a stay at home date night. Um, and in this day and age, there are lots of ways to do that. But just focusing on each other, super important. Go ahead, Dave. Well, this is kind of getting into what I was thinking about. With the, uh, what are the habits? What are the problem habits that can weaken the marriage? And um, what you guys are saying kind of leads into that. So I'm just going to go uh, in that direction with this. One of the, one of the problems then um, that the effort to, to make time to, uh, to be together, um, whether it's um, a fancy date night or even if it's just um, when, we, when, when we get to, to drive to uh, a certain place, the 30 minutes in the car is the moment when it's when you know, we can talk. And then that's not formal. That's not amazing. But knowing that you can count on some specific times mm-hmm. like that can be, can be really helpful. And what you're doing is you're, you're, you're making the space and you're prioritizing um, the other person. Um, and it might be, I need to tell you something. And so then it kind of falls on me. This is my desire because I need to tell you, you know, I have a problem or I have a difficulty or I have a question or other, I think there's something wrong with you. It could be from that perspective. But so much of the time is that you were investing this opportunity to, um, to, to find out about the other person and, and, and foster that communication. The opposite of that then is when we are uh, living in an out of proportion uh, life. And it could be that I have an interest in another person, and it could be a buddy, it could be a group of guys, it could be, it, it could be another lady, and so then that moves in towards adultery, but it doesn't have to be anything that specific, it could just be other people that I have, uh, that, are, that are taking up too much of my time, it could be an idea or a hobby that is taking up too much of my time and that I'm investing in, and what we end up doing is we um, start living a personal and singular life that starts to grow apart from the unity um, that, that God pulled us together. My wife has some hobbies and interests that I don't find interesting, but I learn about because she's talking about that. And, and I, I grow to, to appreciate those things. I don't know if I'm going to love them every time. I have some interests and hobbies that my wife thinks are, uh, actually most people think are kind of weird and dumb, but she learns about them and, and um, she, she can, can learn what is it that is interesting in this, 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 this sporting interest or this crafting interest that I have. And what we do is it's not say to say you need to sit down and learn this craft or you need to sit down and watch my favorite movie um that that might be making a a greater demand but allowing the space that they will share what's interesting and what's important about that um, is again reinforcing the independence i'm going to have my own interests that i'm going to work on i don't have to make my wife like them if my wife doesn't like it does that mean i have to give it up No, the point is to have the sense of proportion so that I am not investing so much of my identity in something that is separated from my wife, but rather I'm always investing in the unity of the marriage. And if I have an interest that is that I just love, I want to go running, I want to go cycling, or I want to go to these national parks. But there's only so many minutes in an hour and so many hours in a day and so many days in a week. My interest might have to uh, exhibit itself in another way because I am limited and I need to put that limit on myself. Justin. I think one of the things um, we can do to help foster that kind of unity priority then is there ought not be, you're talking about preserving the individual, right? Is, Is Sometimes we're like, well, I've got these things and they're mine and I want them for me. Um, there ought not be anything like that in our marriage where it's like, this is me and this is mine. Unless it's, you know, I have my faith. I have my relationship with Christ. Like, obviously Christ wants that from me. It's not dependent on my wife, but like my bank account or my phone, um, 
you know, I have, I have a phone that unlocks with a thumbprint and my wife's thumbprint is on it and she can get in my phone anytime, all the time. That just ought to be a given. Um, mm -hmm. and, and there's no money laying around somewhere that she doesn't know about. And the same goes for her. Uh, th there just ought not be any closed doors in our relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's not just me saying that's practically for our good. There's just, there's this biblical concept called one flesh. Um, and that, that is so intertwined, but Eve literally was Adam before she became Eve. Like there's, you know, it, it's, it, it kind of boggles the mind, but here's this unique person now, and she's supposed to behave toward him as though she's still kind of like part of him. So one flesh. Um, we probably don't have time to get into this, but I just want to put this out there. One of the things that makes marriage a unique relationship besides a business partnership, where sometimes depending on where you are in your family and cycling through laundry and arranging children's schedules and having people over and being hospitable and all kinds of things you have going on, it feels like a business relationship. It's more than just a buddy-buddy friendship. Um, there's a sexual relationship to this. And uh, that needs to be part of integrated with everything else in the relationship because the way I'm opening up my bank account, my phone, my schedule so that I prioritize your hobbies and things, it, it changes the way you think about each other. And mm. uh, the one flesh relationship is more than sex, but it's also not less than sex. Mm -hmm. um, it includes that. And and to go back to something you said, Jonathan, it, it's not for selfish ambition. It's not like this is to fulfill my need, my desire. It becomes another opportunity for me to serve my spouse. And if both spouses are thinking that way toward each other, then the sexual relationship becomes this beautiful, wonderful blessing that, again, shows something of the glory of Christ in the church, First uh, Corinthians 6. But, wow, um, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. Dan? The story of the rich young ruler when he comes up to Jesus is, is a relationship story. And it's somebody who is, um, um, he, he, he is, he's married to God. He's obeying God. He's a child of God and he's done everything. And he, and he comes up to this great teacher and I don't know what he knows about Jesus, but he comes up to him and says, what, what other, you know, what good thing that I, do I have to do? He's, he's doing the things he's in this relationship and he's doing it all. Jesus lists some of the commands and he says, I've done these things. The next thing that Jesus says isn't one of the commands. It's, it's in absolutely no command in the Bible. Now it's coming out of Jesus's mouth. So it has this, this feeling and this sense of command. But no one really goes to that story and says, look, Jesus wants, to, wants all of us to get rid of all of our money and to live without money following Jesus. No one looks at that story and sees it that way. They see Jesus told this one person to stop holding back on their life something special for them that God wasn't going to be a part of. And, and um, you know, the most people need to give up a certain amount of money, or we need to share and be ready for that. But he went right to the heart of it with that man. He said, you need to give up all of your money. And he was sad. And he left sad because he wanted the relationship and he wanted the thing. He wanted his money. And when we hold on to something and we're unwilling to let it go in any way, uh, that, then it, it will be this, um, this curse and this corruption in the whole relationship. Good point. Jonathan, go ahead, John. Yeah, so we're getting close to out of time, but I wanna just spend a, a couple of minutes before we wrap up talking about um, this perspective. You know, we've been talking about the blessing of marriage, what marriage is supposed to be, how to how to foster a good relationship. What if you're in a position right now where your marriage is not going well, um, that it is weak and and in danger of, of falling apart? What do you do? Um, and man, that's a big question, hard to talk about in just a couple of minutes. Um, but if you guys have like, I don't know, maybe just one or two things um, that you want to mention. Yeah. One thing that I'll say um, is I think that the first thing, maybe the most important, is you've got to turn it to God, um, and you've got to pray, um, and trust in the power that God has to strengthen your marriage and become that focal point, and, and pray about that. Pray that God will give you the wisdom to be able to 
you know, work in your marriage in the way that you need to pray that he'll soften the heart of your spouse to receive that pray that he'll help humble you into the position that you need to be. But, but bringing God into your marriage will only help strengthen it. Um, mm -hmm. And starting off with like praying, but like making your spouse aware um, that, that you want to save this marriage and that you're going to do everything that you can to change yourself and whatever way you need to, to strengthen that. And, and you're looking to God now and you want to help her or him to look to God and, and, but starting there, starting with God as God is going to help fix our marriage. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask him to help me do that. Mm -hmm. I, I don't mean for this to sound too simple, but, but, you know, as a second step to go right after what you're saying, Jonathan, I mean, you begin with prayer and you begin with God. I, what I've learned uh, is that in, in order to affect a change in a system or in a group of people in a relationship, whether it's just uh, two people in a, in a marriage or even in a whole family or in a job or in a, or in a congregation, what we can do and what we have control over is ourselves. And we go to God and we, we put it all in God's hands. And then we do absolutely everything that we can do to change ourselves and make ourselves right uh, for God. Not I'm going to change myself for her or I'm going to change myself for him. And, and this isn't, a, I'm not trying to say we need to save it. We do the work um, because, you know, uh, you know we, we, we get to heaven by our own works, but rather, uh, I need to do everything I can to change myself. I don't change other people. I, I change myself. I make myself as good a person as I can possibly be. Uh, by my service, others are blessed. Um, I, I'm willing to spend and be spent. And Paul seems to have saved an entire congregation by that effort. And uh, I can't remember who brought it up earlier, but I think that the first Peter chapter three example is exactly what that is. The woman in that relationship, the wife, she is being a tremendous good person. And she is being that for her husband and she's being that for God. And the result is the man turns to God and, and in turn, he's going to turn to his, his wife as well. It doesn't, I don't know if it was a bad marriage, but that great effort what can I do uh, to be a godly man or a godly woman, a godly wife or husband is one of the most powerful things we can do after we've reached out to God for help. And Dan, just to clarify one thing you said before we move on, um, the comment from Janie, I think, I think you were being sarcastic when you said um, that would be, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, what I was saying was we need to work really hard and I don't want it to sound like we're going to work our way to heaven. Um, we're going to work as hard as we can, and it's God who gives the, uh, the grace and God who's going to create the great changes. Um, in fact, it's because of God that I can work that hard, uh, but, but I need to make the effort, and I need, to work, um, I need to work really hard to be an excellent Christian. Again, not to pat myself on the shoulder. Uh, look at me, I'm an excellent Christian, but I need to do those changes. God, God does partner with us on those things. So I think that's, that's well said. Um, one of the things that someone helped me to see before Lindsay and I got married was uh, James 4 talks about drawing near to God. He will draw near to you. If I remember, my marriage is not about it's just my relationship with this person, but it's a tool that God uses to glorify himself and to bless me. He's trying to draw me closer to him through what really is a, an adventure, a trial. You know, marriage can be a, a difficulty in that way. Um, but the picture that someone presented was you've got, you've got God and then my spouse and me, we both have a relationship with God. And we could just go around all day long chasing each other, trying to draw near to each other. And then she's over here with this new hobby and I'm chasing over here with this hobby. And now she likes this TV show and I'm, or whatever it is. We're just chasing each other. She likes me. She doesn't like me. Whatever. Well, instead, if both of us are drawing near to God, he's immovable. And just by effect, we're drawing closer and closer to each other. Um, and if I'm not expecting her to do that, I'm hoping she will. I'm praying for her and I'm helping her. But Matthew 7, I'm getting the log out of my eye. And it may be I'm in a situation where it's 95% of the other person's fault. And it's only 5% my fault. We'll take responsibility for your 5%. And when you're having problems in your marriage, 
just just watch her soften watch him soften when you take responsibility full responsibility and don't say i'm sorry i did this but just i did wrong here and i've asked god to forgive me i'm asking you to forgive me and i'm working on this if you can help me to grow in this way that would be wonderful well, one other thing i would encourage you to do um like I, you guys like the steps is like one two three this is the third third thing um to draw near to god take responsibility for yourself but the third thing was get outside help um and get outside help from biblically godly minded people mm -hmm. um not get help from people who are going to point you to zig ziglar or i don't even know if he has marriage advice but like people are going to take you to the word and say we're growing in this too uh, God's helping us through these passages. Uh, this is what's helped us. May God bless you through his word too. And who will walk you through that and counsel you with that. When Lindsay and I were dating and trying to figure out if we're going to marry each other, um, there was one question. I didn't know it at the time, but there was one question Lindsay asked me and I answered it wrong. And she like she was, she was like, I'm not going to marry this guy. Um, but she asked me this question. She said, what are we going to do when we start having problems? And my answer was, we'll figure it out. We will work hard together and by God's grace, we'll figure it out. She said, will we ever get outside help? Will we ever get people to come and help us? And you have to understand that at the time, my parents were having problems in their marriage and they were not getting outside help. Their marriage failed. Um, and uh, my wife, my, my mom remains faithful to Christ. My dad is gone. So there was like, some of that culture i was thinking well yeah we're going to figure this out um there have been times in our marriage where we have gotten outside help and it has made the difference where someone from the outside looking in can say justin you are not being a godly husband you are violating ephesians 5 principles and here's how you're doing it and here's what repentance would look like mm -hmm. and they'll turn to Lindsay, and they'll say Lindsay, you are violating first Peter three principles and here's how you need to repent and here's what it would look like and and to have someone from the outside looking at us through the lens of the scriptures is so humbling and hurtful but it is what has led to healing and growth uh, and if we hadn't done that we wouldn't be where we are now praise God for his word amen well thank you guys for taking a little extra time uh, to do that. I think that's important for us to be able to address here. Um, and to our audience, thank you all for, for listening in with us today. Uh, if you have any further questions about this topic or anything else that you'd like us to discuss, again, you can submit those to us on our website at biblequest.tv. Um, when you go to our website, just click on the Tuesday talk show up in the top and you can enter your name, email address, and your comment or question in that window. Uh, also, if you want to listen to this recording or any of the other recordings that we've had, you can go to the podcast and recording page. Um, and both our shows and the shows from the Wednesday show are on that website. Uh, so that's all that we have for this week to talk about. Um, hopefully, Lord willing, next week uh, or in some week uh, in the near future, we'll talk about maybe kind of the inverse of this topic, um, singleness. And how do you use singleness for the Lord? Marriage is a great blessing from the Lord singleness can be a great blessing for the Lord as well. Um, and so uh, Lord willing, we'll be able to talk about that soon. Uh, but that's all we have for this week. So we will see you all next week. Lord willing.